Well, what a wonderful day. Despite being online, we all have the privilege of formally commissioning Howard and Trish for a task. And that task is to proclaim and bear the fruit of the glorious news of Jesus Christ amongst university students in Belgium. And as we formally acknowledge and send them as a church family and as a wider body of Christ in genuine fellowship, I have no doubt that we're all filled with mixed emotions. On the one hand, there is the excitement of going to another country for Howard and Trish, for being able to learn those Belgic ways when it comes to soccer and food and learning a new language whilst they are in their twilight years. But on the other hand, there is the sadness of leaving loved ones behind and the fear of the unknown, the uncertainty beyond the current uncertainty of our COVID pandemic. But as we gather, we need to hear the words of 1 Peter chapter 4 and verse 7 and following. Right, firstly, the end of all things is at hand. Right, the end of all things is at hand. God will bring this creation as we know it to an end by the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. And when he comes, he will judge the living and the dead. And on that day, those who reject God and despise his people will get what they deserve. But God's people will rise up to be with him in glory. And this end is not only a reality, but it is at hand. It is near. And I wonder whether you believe this or not. Would you live any differently if you honestly believe that the world was going to come to an end? A number of years ago, there was a movie called Deep Impact. I don't know whether you've heard of it, and perhaps some of, some of us in our twilight years may well have seen it. It's one of those few movies in which I actually cried. Would you believe it? I cried in this movie. And it wasn't a Jane Austen movie. In this particular movie, a meteorite threatens to end the world. And the reactions are varied. Some try to avoid the destruction and end up in a traffic jam with millions of cars. Uh, others are chosen by lottery for salvation in vast underground shelters. Uh, still others are looting and pillaging in a final burst of selfish pleasure. And some take the opportunity to reconcile with their family. What would you do if you knew the world was going to end? Well, not with a deadly meteorite, but end with the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Well, have a look at 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 7 with me. The end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. Right? Be 
self-controlled and clear-headed for the sake of our prayers so that we can pray better. Clear your head and act rightly in order to assist your prayers. If you want to pray well for the Spencers, it will pay dividends to think clearly and act rightly according to the end, in light of the return of Jesus. Now, this is not a magic formula. It's not as if if you do pray with the end in mind that God will automatically say yes to your prayers. No, it doesn't work like that. But rather, thinking clearly about the end will reorientate our prayers to line up with God's purposes, line up with God's plans, all for the glory of God. You see, that's why Howard and Trish have actually chosen God's plans to have their prayers revolve around on their prayer card. They've got Colossians chapter 3 and verse 4 as the memory verse on their prayer card. And to put it in context, let's read it. It's read out for us earlier. It says this in Colossians 4, Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it, with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray for us also that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ, on account of which I am in prison, that I ought to make it clear, which is how I ought to speak. To be watchful in prayer is, surprise, surprise, to pray in the light of the Lord's return. Because that's the kind of thinking that makes you wrestle in prayer. That's the kind of thinking that agonizes us in prayer for others, praying with the end in mind. And Paul also asked the Colossian Christians to pray for him that God might open not the prison door, but the door of opportunity to declare the mystery of Christ. And what is this mystery? It is what is being revealed now that through the proclamation of the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, both Jewish people and Gentile people, non-Jewish people of the nations, might be united to one new humanity under the Lordship of Jesus Christ. And furthermore, Paul asks the Colossians to pray not only for an opportunity to declare this mystery through preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ, but to do so clearly with clarity in that declaration. All this whilst he is in prison, even though that is the very reason he is in prison for proclaiming this glorious news. You see, knowing that the end of all things is near helps us to pray like this for the Spencers, to pray like this for the people of Belgium. Could you resolve to pray like this for Howard and Trish? Pray for the staff that Howard and Trish are seeking to serve with, Alex and Sarah Manlow, for them to proclaim this gospel clearly amongst the students on the university campuses. 
do resolve to pray that five more workers might be raised up to serve with them by 2025. Pray for Howard and Trish to be able to serve in that context, to see this fruit and to see hundreds, thousands of students come to know Jesus, live for him, be established in the faith and raised up to serve him all over this world. Praying with the end in mind will help us resolve to pray like this. And furthermore, how else are we to live if we know that the end is near? Look at verse 7 again of 1 Peter chapter 4. The end of all things is at hand. Therefore be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. Love. Such a mushy word, isn't it, that we butcher over and over again. Love, it's in all our songs, you know. She loves you, yeah, yeah, yeah. But it can also describe anything from sex through to dog food. There was a dog food called love back in the day. But in the Bible, the word love is so big that it can cover over a multitude of sins. Right? Deep love, real love, unhypocritical love, the kind of love that was demonstrated to us when Jesus died the death that you and I deserve, that kind of love, as it works its way through the hearts and minds of the people of Christ, why it will enable us to right the wrongs, to heal the pains, to absorb the hurts, to deeply desire what is best for the other person with all the emotions that come with it. That's why it can cover over a multitude of sins. It is a gospel-saturated love that is so other-person-centered in which I lose my own interests as I seek the interests of others. And my guess is, Howard and Trish, that you, together with all of us, will not only contribute our fair share to this multitude of sins, but we will also be sinned against in a multitude of ways. And either way, our sins are ultimately a rebellion against God that grieve Him, that disappoint Him. And that is why the framework for loving one another deeply must be our clear thinking about the end when Jesus returns. It is because of our sins that the wrath of God is coming on that final day. But love, demonstrated at the cross, is what will compel us to live no longer for ourselves, but for Jesus who died for us and rose again. And how can this love be expressed? Well then, 1 Peter 4 verse 9, have a look there. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. I wonder where that came to your mind when you thought about this self-sacrificial love, showing hospitality without grumbling. 
Well, if you knew that all, the end of all things is near, would you have considered hospitality as one of these things to do? But indeed, it is one of these things to do in light of the end, says Peter. You know, the original word for hospitality is actually philozenoi. Philo is philos, love. Zenos is strangers. It is a love of strangers. That's what the word hospitality means in its root meaning. And that is exactly what Howard and Trish are seeking to do, aren't they? I mean, if anyone is going to be strange to an Aussie couple with a no-nonsense kind of personality, it will be the suave, sophisticated, philosophically driven, coffee-drinking, hipster, French-speaking fashionatas of Belgium. But they are the ones we are sending Howard and Trish to love without grumbling. And the way Howard and Trish will initially intend to do this is by laboring away to learn French in their twilight years. And also to babysit the children of Alex and Sarah, firstly, for at least the first year if not throughout the entire stay that they're going to be with them. To care for them, to love them, to enable Alex and Sarah to be able to do the frontline work as Howard and Trish seek to support them and care for them and, and do what they can with the very little French they will have. It's not exactly glamorous, is it? But it's exactly what you do if you think and live as if the end of all things is near. And another way to love, in verse 10 and following, have a look at 1 Peter 4, uh, 4 verse 10 and following. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's very grace. Whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God. Whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies. You see, they are to use their gifts accordingly to love others. Now, Howard and Trish are incredibly gifted people, as we all know. Trish is a mother through and through. Right? Children just immediately warm to her and she to them like duck to water. Uh, furthermore, she has the gift of teaching English to migrants in a clear and loving way with all the patience in the world. And speaking of patience, she has all the patience in the world to deal with Howard's insane energy, doesn't she? And Howard, of course, has this God-given insane energy. I remember asking Howard once what he was going to do for his day off, and he said, well, Richard, I'm going to build a shed. I mean, who builds a shed on their day off? Howard. And of course, he's a horticulturalist at heart, incredibly gifted administrator who is so efficient. I remember that I used to have to be very cautious in sharing any new ideas I had with Howard because in the early days when I did that, Howard would implement them before I actually thought that they were very good ideas. But he was so efficient, so amazing. If you want a can-do man, it's Howard, isn't it? He will make things happen if he's going to try and make things happen. It will happen. 
And having worked with Howard for almost 25 years, I just cannot imagine an AFES without Howard. But here's the thing. He can. And more importantly, God can. Howard and Trish, you are so gifted. And it is our prayer that you will use your gifts in the strength that God supplies. And finally, please note what the ultimate purpose of our gifts are to be used for. Come with me to verse 11 of 1 Peter 4. Verse 11. Whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God, whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies, in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. See, we are to use our gifts ultimately for the glory of God, to show God off to the world, to promote God's character, God's splendor, his wonder, his radiance, his dignity, his honor, his reputation. Because it is who God is and what he has done supremely in Jesus that ought to take our breath away. And not what we can do. Not our legacy, but God's legacy. God's gospel, God's reputation. Here then, Howard and Trish, is a practical test as to whether you are using your gifts for the glory of God. If your gifts, your abilities are frustrated in the context of Belgium, if for some reason they are taken away, will your joy in the Lord remain? Or will you be so tied to your gifts and abilities that their destruction will mean your destruction? But that's not only a question for Howard and Trish, is it? It's a question for you and me as well, from wherever we are watching this. Because what matters more than anything else in these last days is not our glory, is not our legacy, it's not what influence we might have, but the glory of God. What matters is not our reputation, but the reputation of God. So Howard and Trish, as you go to Belgium, please remember that the end of all things is near. Don't just wait for it, but live for it. And I know that's why you're doing that in these twilight years. You are doing it for the praise of God. And may God bless you and use you for his glory into eternity. Amen.